Hi, I'm Rick Ryman, host of Audibly Speaking, a show on the stories behind the stories of our time. By sounding out on these stories, we give voice to them and hear them for the first time. From the news of the day to history and literature, from audiobooks to leaders on the stump, we examine the backstories of our time, audibly speaking. I want to talk about the similarities between President Joe Biden's speech on Ukraine and Israel on October 19, 2023, and the Arsenal of Democracy speech by Franklin Roosevelt in December 1940. Not only are there similarities between these two addresses, but it's very obvious that the authors of Biden's speech were very careful to study the Arsenal of Democracy speech by Franklin Roosevelt. And there are some uncanny similarities between the two speeches, which I don't think anyone has observed up to now, and I want to draw those comparisons. So I'll be quoting from both speeches, FDR's speech and Joe Biden's. FDR's speech is in a podcast that I have recorded recently, so you can hear Franklin Roosevelt speaking himself in addressing the American people in December 1940. But I will be reading from that speech, and I'll be reading from the parallel speech of Joe Biden, so you can see that he carefully studied FDR's speech in writing his own speech, or his advisors did. And that's important, because the Arsenal of Democracy speech is one of the most important speeches in American history. It was delivered at a time when the world was at war, or at least or at least much of the world. The European War had begun in September 1939, and by 1940, Britain was fighting for its life, France had fallen, and Russia was in a non-aggression pact with Germany, with the Nazis. So the United States was in grave danger of having to fight the Nazis, and Japan, perhaps, without the aid of any democratic allies at all. This was one of the greatest dangers in American history. And the fact that President Biden is referencing the Arsenal of Democracy speech in 2023 shows the grave danger we are in today. So let me quote from some of the speech, and then I will show you how there are uncanny similarities in President Biden's speech, which are not coincidental, which are not accidental but which are deliberate references from the FDR speech by a president, President Biden, who believes that we are in a similar fix, facing a similar danger, on the precipice of a world war which killed more than 400,000 Americans. Americans need to have pause now at the grave danger the world is in today. We weathered that storm in the 1940s, and President Biden knows, he believes, and I think he's right, that if we summon the unity and the desire and the faith in a democratic alliance with other democratic nations, and a united America at home, 
that we can weather the present storm as well. So here are some excerpts from FDR's Arsenal of Democracy speech. There are also American citizens, many of them in high places, who unwittingly in most cases are aiding and abetting the work of these foreign agents. I do not charge these American citizens with being foreign agents, but I do charge them with doing exactly the kind of work that the dictators want done in the United States. These people not only believe that we can save our own skins by shutting our eyes to the fate of other nations, some of them go much further than that. They say that we can and should become the friends and even the partners of the Axis powers. Some of them even suggest that we should imitate the methods of the dictatorships. But Americans never can and never will do that. The American appeasers ignore the warning to be found in the fate of Austria, Czechoslovakia, Poland, Norway, Belgium, the Netherlands, Denmark, and France. They tell you that the Axis powers are going to win anyway, that all of this bloodshed in the world could be saved, that the United States might just as well throw its influence into the scale of a dictated peace and get the best out of it that we can. They call it a negotiated peace. Nonsense. Is it a negotiated peace if a gang of outlaws surrounds your community and on threat of extermination makes you pay tribute to save your own skins? For such a dictated peace would be no peace at all. It would be only another armistice, leading to the most gigantic armaments race and the most devastating trade wars in all history. And in these contests, the Americas would offer the only real resistance to the Axis power. With all their vaunted efficiency, with all their parade of pious purpose in this war, there are still in their background the concentration camp and the servants of God in chains. If we are to be completely honest with ourselves, we must admit that there is risk in any course we may take. But I deeply believe that the great majority of our people agree that the course that I advocate involves the least risk now and the greatest hope for world peace in the future. The people of Europe who are defending themselves do not ask us to do their fighting. They ask us for the implements of war, the planes, the tanks, the guns, the freighters, which will enable them to fight for their liberty and for our security. Emphatically, we must get these weapons to them, get them to them in sufficient volume and quickly enough so that we and our children will be saved the agony and suffering of war which others have had to endure. Let not the defeatists tell us that it is too late. It will never be earlier. Tomorrow will be later than today. The nation is making a great effort to produce everything that is necessary in this emergency, and with all possible speed. And this great effort requires great sacrifice. I would ask no one to defend a democracy which in turn would not defend everyone in the nation against want and privation. The strength of this nation shall not be diluted 
by the failure of the government to protect the economic well-being of its citizens. If our capacity to produce is limited by machines, it must ever be remembered that these machines are operated by the skill and the stamina of the workers. American industrial genius, unmatched through all the world in the solution of production problems, has been called upon to bring its resources and its talents into action. Manufacturers of watches, of farm implements, of linotypes and cash registers and automobiles and sewing machines and lawnmowers and locomotives are now making fuses and bomb packing crates and telescope mounts and shells and pistols and tanks. But all of our present efforts are not enough. We must have more ships, more guns, more planes, more of everything. And this can be accomplished only if we discard the notion of business as usual. I want to make it clear that it is the purpose of the nation to build now with all possible speed every machine, every arsenal, every factory that we need to manufacture our defense material. We have the men, the skill, the wealth, and above all, the will. So I appeal to the owners of plants, to the managers, to the workers, and to our own government employees to put every ounce of effort into producing these munitions swiftly and without stint. As planes and ships and guns and shells are produced, your government, with its defense experts, can then determine how best to use them to defend this hemisphere. The decision as to how much shall be sent abroad and how much shall remain at home must be made on the basis of our overall military necessities. We must be the great arsenal of democracy. For us, this is an emergency as serious as war itself. We must apply ourselves to our task with the same resolution, the same sense of urgency, the same spirit of patriotism and sacrifice, as we would show were we at war. We have furnished the British great material support, and we will furnish far more in the future. There will be no bottlenecks in our determination to aid Great Britain. No dictator, no combination of dictators, will weaken that determination by threats of how they will construe that determination. The British have received invaluable military support from the heroic Greek army and from the forces of all the governments in exile. Their strength is growing. It is the strength of men and women who value their freedom more highly than they value their lives. I believe that the Axis powers are not going to win this war. I base that belief on the latest and best information. We have no excuse for defeatism. We have every good reason for hope. Hope for peace, yes, and hope for the defense of our civilization and for the building of a better civilization in the future. I have the profound conviction that the American people are now determined to put forth a mightier effort than they have ever yet made to increase our production of all the implements of defense to meet the threat to our democratic faith. President Biden's speech was a fusion of the arsenal of democracy speech that I have just read 
and a speech that FDR made just a few days after Pearl Harbor, one year later, in December 1941. This was a radio address that followed his Day of Infamy speech in requesting a declaration of war from Congress on Japan. But I want you to listen to this passage because there's a direct parallel in President Biden's speech, as we will see. The true goal we seek is far above and beyond the ugly field of battle. When we resort to force, as now we must, we are determined that this force shall be directed towards ultimate good as well as against immediate evil. We Americans are not destroyers, we are builders. We are now in the midst of a war, not for conquest, not for vengeance, but for a world in which this nation and all that this nation represents will be safe for our children. We expect to eliminate the danger from Japan, but it would serve us ill if we accomplished that and found that the rest of the world was dominated by Hitler and Mussolini. So we are going to win the war, and we are going to win the peace that follows. And in the difficult hours of this day, through dark days that may be yet to come, we will know that the vast majority of the members of the human race are on our side. Many of them are fighting with us. All of them are praying for us. But in representing our cause, we represent theirs as well. Our hope and their hope for liberty under God. Now listen to President Biden's speech, excerpts from his speech. We're facing an inflection point in history, one of those moments where the decisions we make today are going to determine the future for decades to come. That's what I'd like to talk with you about tonight. Hamas and Putin represent different threats, but they share this in common. They both want to completely annihilate a neighboring democracy. Completely annihilate it. I know these conflicts can seem far away, and it's natural to ask, why does this matter to America? So let me share with you why making sure Israel and Ukraine succeed is vital for America's national security. You know, history has taught us that when terrorists don't pay a price for their terror, when dictators don't pay a price for their aggression, they cause more chaos and death and more destruction. They keep going, and the cost and the threats to America and the world keep rising. So if we don't stop Putin's appetite for power and control in Ukraine, he won't limit himself just to Ukraine. He's, Putin's, already threatened to remind, quote, remind Poland that their western land was a gift from Russia. One of his top advisors, a former president of Russia, has called Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania Russia's Baltic provinces. These are all NATO allies. For 75 years, NATO has kept peace in Europe and has been the cornerstone of American security. And if Putin attacks a NATO ally, 
we will defend every inch of NATO which a treaty requires and calls for. The United States and our partners across the region are working to build a better future for the Middle East, one where the Middle East is more stable, better connected to its neighbors, and through innovative projects like the India, Middle East, and Europe Rail Corridor that I announced this year at the summit of the world's biggest economies, more predictable markets, more employment, less rage, less grievances, less war when connected. It benefits the people. It would benefit the people of the Middle East, and it would benefit us. American leadership is what holds the world together. American alliances are what keep us, America, safe. American values are what make us a partner that other nations want to work with. To put all that at risk if we walk away from Ukraine, if we turn our backs on Israel, it's just not worth it. That's why tomorrow I'm going to send to Congress an urgent budget request to fund America's national security needs, to support our critical partners, including Israel and Ukraine. It's a smart investment that's going to pay dividends for American security for generations, help us keep American troops out of harm's way, help us build a world that is safer, more peaceful, and more prosperous for our children and grandchildren. So here you can see Biden echoing FDR. We are fighting for our future, the peace of our own nation. We are helping other countries do our fighting for us so we don't have to do the fighting ourselves. All we have to do is to supply the instruments of war so that others can fight for their own freedom and our security. One difference in the two speeches was that although FDR was the leader of a divided people, at least he didn't have to worry about assaults by Americans on other Americans in the run-up to World War II. He had to worry about isolationism, which could put all his plans at risk, that's sure enough. But he didn't have to worry about Americans unleashing hate upon one another to the point of killing them on account of their ethnicity, intentions that were related to the world situation. But Biden did, as you can see here. You know, and here at home, we have to be honest with ourselves. In recent years, too much hate has been given too much oxygen, fueling racism, a rise in anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, right here in America. It's also intensified in the wake of recent events that led to the horrific threats and attacks that both shock us and break our hearts. Just last week, a mother was brutally stabbed. A little boy here in the United States, a, a little boy who just turned six years old, was murdered in their home outside of Chicago. His name was Wadia. Wadia, a proud American, a proud Palestinian-American family. We can't stand by and stand silent when this happens. We must, without equivocation, denounce anti-Semitism. We must also, without equivocation, denounce Islamophobia. And here's a clear reference to FDR's speech. From the outset, I have said I will not send American troops to fight in Ukraine. 
All Ukraine is asking for is help for the weapons, munitions, the capacity, the capability to push invading Russian forces off their land and the air defense systems to shoot down Russian missiles before they destroy Ukrainian cities. You know, just as in World War II, today patriotic American workers are building the arsenal of democracy and serving the cause of freedom. And notice this striking statement at the very end of President Biden's speech, an echo of FDR's speech a few days after Pearl Harbor. Tonight, there are innocent people all over the world who hope because of us, who believe in a better life because of us, who are desperate not to be forgotten by us, and who are waiting for us. But time is of the essence. I know we have our divisions at home. We have to get past them. We can't let petty, partisan, angry politics get in the way of our responsibilities as a great nation. We cannot and will not let terrorists like Hamas and tyrants like Putin win. I refuse to let that happen. In moments like these, we have to remind, we have to remember who we are. We are the United States of America. The United States of America. And there is nothing nothing beyond our capacity if we do it together. So what are we to make of these parallels? First of all, they are not accidental. It shows that President Biden is very, very serious about looking at the current dangers in the world and seeing a parallel with one of the periods in our history when America was most at risk, the months and years just before Pearl Harbor. America managed to emerge from that world war as the strongest and best situated world power in world history. But history does not automatically repeat itself. In fact, history never repeats itself. That is a trite phrase that really must be retired and certainly must be banished from the mind. History never, ever repeats itself, although some might say that it occasionally rhymes. And so what this shows is that America is divided today, just as it was in 1940, that the world is on the precipice of spinning out of control, just as it was spinning out of control in 1940, that American power does not immune itself from the wild and turbulent tensions of the broader world, and that Americans cannot ignore those tensions, could not, cannot ignore that strife, cannot ignore the centrifugal forces that threaten to turn this world into a raging fire of war. Biden believes that with reference to our past, we can help preserve the present and build a better future. It's important to be mindful of how grave a danger America faced in 1940 and how grave a danger we face today as represented by his referencing of a speech that was made on the knife's edge of a war, a war that would determine America's future forevermore. 
We are on the same knife's edge today. And the question is whether we will realize that or not and draw the consequences for the benefit of freedom, democracy, and America's democratic future. If we listen to the echoes of our present-day speeches in those of our past, we are more likely to preserve that future. Thanks for listening. That's it for today's episode of AudiblySpeaking.com. New podcast episodes appear on AudiblySpeaking.com approximately once every two weeks. Please subscribe to Audibly Speaking on iTunes or whatever podcast aggregator you enjoy. Until next time, this is Rick Ryman. Happy listening.